A star-spanning saga of ancient magic and deep science, vividly told by a modern master, says Dave Gibbons. Kelly Sue DeConnick states, The kind of epic you crave, both noun and adjective. And that doesn't even quite capture Liam Sharp's astonishing scope and vision. There's magic in these pages. Matt Fraction calls it jaw-dropping and epic and massive. He also says this is a gorgeous and incredible and massive swing for the stars that declares his ambitions have taken him to some exciting and undiscovered territories. Bravo, congrats, cheers, and exhale. This is glorious. What are they all talking about? Liam Sharp's upcoming six-issue series, Starhenge, from Image Comics. Liam himself says of the series, I wanted to do my own Image Comic for 30 years. I wanted to do a Merlin comic for even longer than that. This is a culmination of so many dreams and ambitions of mine finally being realized, and that makes it the most exciting and personal comic project I've ever done. I can't wait to see it on the shelves. It's also been described as a mashup of the Green Knight and Terminator with all the Arthurian legends, time travel, and killer robots that entails, plus Merlin, magic, and mayhem. The first issue debuts in comic shops on July 6th, with final order cut off on June 13th. So now's the time to tell your retailers to order you a copy. everybody welcome to another episode of the comic source i'm your host jace and this is jay and this is your new comics wednesday episode for june 8th 2022 really great week of books jay and i were just as we were preparing to start recording uh we were just talking about a few of the titles getting excited uh talking spoilery which obviously we won't do on the podcast just a, a quick reminder we go spoiler free on new comic wednesday uh, but if you're looking for the DC stuff, that's on the DC spotlight on Tuesday that I do with Rocky from comic boom. And there are spoilers on that. So just be aware if you listen to the, uh, DC stuff on Tuesday, or if you already have, you'll know this. Uh, yeah, we go deep into the storyline and talk about actual events in the books. Uh, we did a separate a couple separate, uh, episodes actually. So there's a separate episode for dark crisis spotlight on dark crisis. Number one, uh, that's a big event lasting through the end of the year for DC. So we'll be doing that uh, weekly as the Dark Crisis books come out. Uh, and then the other thing that we did separately was the Pride, the DC Pride anthology, which was like over 100 pages. Uh, now that didn't drop until today. Uh, actually, if you're listening to this super, super, super quickly after it came out, the uh, Pride episode may not be out yet because I'll probably drop it about an hour after this one. So uh, if you're looking for the Pride stuff, it is out on Wednesday and I got to say the Kevin Conroy story, which basically it's, it's, it's autobiographical. He's telling the story of himself as a, a gay actor. Uh, well, a gay, a, somebody who knew he was gay pretty early on, apparently, because he was talking about growing up in the 50s and 60s in an Irish Catholic family, very conservative and the challenges of that. And then, you know, trying to become an actor and the stigma, which is so interesting because he mentions this about how, you know, in that uh, industry in Hollywood at that time, 70s, 80s. There's tons of agents and producers and uh, directors and uh, production assistants and uh, just all kinds of people involved in movies 
that uh, were homosexual, but yet it was not talked about at all, right? It was if it came out that you were you'd get blackballed. So so uh, dichotomous in such a way. But anyway, I do recommend it. Uh, fantastic story. There are a lot of great D- DC books. Yesterday, there's tons of great Marvel books and uh, some independent stuff that we're going to talk about on this podcast. 14 books. So uh, without further ado, we'll go ahead and start diving right in. Uh, and for Jay, this is one I didn't get a chance to to get to, um, but it's Skybound Presents After School. It's written by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Greg Hinkle is the artist, Giovanni Nero on colors, Pat Brosso on letters. Uh, I didn't have any idea what this is about, but you were saying it's you think it's going to be an anthology? Yeah, I was reading into it. It's going to be a new horror anthology. So this is one of four. So each one's going to be a standalone story. I like horror. So I was all over this, of course. <laughs> and this one, the main character is uh, Nora. She's a high school student um, and with her dog. But there's more to the dog than what, what you can uh, than you think, because if you see the cover, you see the dog's kind of serious. It's a very bloody and gory story. Um, it's really good. The ending, though, is is great because it's kind of like those horror movies. Like, okay, this is going to be a happy ending, maybe. <laughs> but it's really good. If you're a fan, like I said, of horror and uh, just obscure, off-the-wall things, I think this is going to be for you. But this one was a really good story to kick it off. And I'm kind of looking for the, the next couple of issues. But it's only going to be four, so it, it'll be fun. Yeah, unless it does really well, they'll bring it back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As I'm looking more closely at the cover now, I see, yeah, like the dog's got a sparkle around one of his eyes. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and there's like some blood on her glove and on his uh, on his uh, fur. So, yeah, and I also like that it's called After School. I imagine most of the story is going to be about people that are in like high school or junior high or whatnot. Yeah, I guess they're trying to uh, focus on the millenniums or like, yeah, they think they had easy. Now they're not. So it's kind of like that. So I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, holy crap! I'm so I'm flipping, just flipping through the pages right now, and yeah, this dog, dog has a little encounter with a cat in front of the house. Wow! Wow! Uh, oh my yeah, god! Yeah, wow. yes, I, it's not for the squeamish. It's I'm gonna the, have to. Yeah, not definitely not for the squeamish, but yeah, if you think like things like Ice Cream Man, it looks like this might be right up your alley. I'm gonna have to check this out. I have to read this before I go to bed tonight. Maybe hopefully it doesn't give me bad dreams, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on. My first book I want to talk about uh, from Valiant, Archer and Armstrong Forever. Talked about the first issue. Really, I, I was pleasantly surprised by how great it was. I kind of fell off the Valiant um, bandwagon. I was reading all their stuff, especially when I knew all the guys that were over there. And then they, they left. DMG took over. And the quality, just, honestly, just what hasn't been there. Um, so I haven't really gone back. Now, I did read the first issue maybe the first two issues of the harbinger but i fell off that too it didn't really grab me but this archer and armstrong forever book uh it's written by steve fox we have art by marcio florido colors are by alex gomerez letters by hassan atzman elhow it is so fun it is just exactly what archer and armstrong should be which is fun and steve fox is making a new reader friendly uh in the first issue uh, Armstrong, who's supposed to be immortal and you know heals from wounds and whatnot, gets his ear cut off by these crazy people, and it doesn't grow back. It doesn't heal. And uh, Obi Obadai Archer is is worried about his buddy. And Ar- Armstrong's like, I had a long run, you know, maybe my immortality's worn off, and he's fine to just, you know, you live as long as him, you get pretty philosophical about things. Um, but Archer doesn't go for that. And so this one, they're kind of globe trotting around trying to find a way to restore uh, 
Armstrong's immortality and Armstrong doesn't really want to do it, but you know, he, he knows that Archer won't give up on it. So Archer basically badgers him into doing it. And it's just a lot of fun. Like it, it's exactly the sort of fun, loving adventure um, with plenty of action that you would expect from an Archer and Armstrong comic. Like th- this is, it's just really, really good. And you know, again, uh, the quality of Valiant comics hasn't been the best lately. And so I want to shout this out. I want people to know how good it is. Uh, Steve Fox it, has done some work uh, over at Aftershock that I've read. That's been really good. Uh, he's co-written some stuff with Steve Orlando. So uh, I wanted to shout that out. And the art by Marcio Florido, very dynamic, very fun. It definitely suits the tone of the book really, really well. So uh, if you just want like a fun book, and, and again, very new reader friendly, uh, I'm sure you can still find issue number one. You don't need to go back any further than just the series uh, and then pick up two. And, uh, and I think you'll enjoy it. So, uh, all right. Up next for Jay, we've got uh, Amazing Spider-Man. We're up to issue number three. Uh, legacy number 897, which means we have that big 900 coming up really soon. Uh, Zeb Wells is the writer, John Romita Jr. on pencils. Scott Hanna does the inks. We've got Marcio Menez on colors, Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, we saw last time at the end of last issue, issue two, uh, Peter getting uh, captured by Tombstone. Now we see the consequences of that. So what do you think, Jay? Oh, well, we we're talking about earlier. This is awesome because <laughs> it's uh, old Pete's in a bad spot in a really, really bad way. But it starts off kind of strange because we kind of see another character do something that I don't know why, but he does it for, for Pete. But, um, yeah, things kind of go south for uh, Pete pretty quick in this one. But we get a little bit of backstory, I guess, uh, with Tucson because he goes into his monologue. So he gives him a backstory of uh, him growing up, which is kind of cool. But then the ending, though, it's like Tombstone kind of lets him know, hey, you know, I got to go do some stuff. And uh, I'm bringing, bringing an old friend of yours here, too, because he kind of crossed me also. And then he's kind of like, uh, so it's like, all right, what's going to happen next? I want to see how Pete gets out of this one, you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things I love so much about and we were talking about this, like, you know, the Nick Spencer run, it introduced some interesting ideas. And, but, it, man, it just it felt like everything took forever to resolve and it just dragged. And it was the, the beyond storyline with Ben Riley, the way that ended wasn't my favorite, but it was a bit of a palate cleanser. And at least it kind of restored as much as I say it restored hope. I mean, Pete spent the majority of that uh, or the first half, first third half of that storyline in a coma. And then was still in the hospital. So depressing in that way. But, you know, it 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 felt more like a Spider-Man story as opposed to this deep angsty and, and I get it. There's always been angst in Spider-Man stories, but it, I mean, Nick Spencer went above and beyond. Um, it just, it felt like a, it wasn't a fun book to read. And the beyond storyline, I think, again, palate cleanser brought back some of the fun, even though Pete is in a bad way in this issue, it feels fun. And part of that is because Zeb Wells does a great job of scripting Peter. Like he, he even as, you know, Peter is like chained up, and he's, he's still making jokes. He's still cracking jokes. Like the way that we remember Spider-Man doing way back in the day in the Stan and um, Steve Ditko days or, or Stan and John Romita Sr. So I like like Pete, his arms are in chains and he, he and Tombstone's like monologuing. And Pete's like, can you hurry this up? My arms are cramping. Like that's just, that's a great line, right? That's Spider-Man. So uh, as much as I'm not a huge fan of John Romita Jr.'s art, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this uh, a lot. And that's just a personal thing. 
you know, Ramita's art has gotten really blocky over the years and I just, I don't care for the style. Um, but man, I'm really enjoying Amazing Spider-Man more than I have in, in years. So I'm excited for that. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor, part one of five. Uh, we got the Thor Love and Thunder movie coming out pretty soon. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we've got a Jane Foster and Thor book on the shelves, which is perfectly fine. I'm not a big Thor guy. I just It's just not a character that I ever read or, or picked up or what have you. Uh, not even when Jane Foster was uh, carrying the hammer. And I don't have a Jane Foster Thor number one, which... At the time, I remember everybody was like, oh, buy it, buy it. It's going to be worth so much. Then for a long time, you could find it in dollar boxes. And now it's probably, I don't know, $50 book or something crazy like that. Whenever they announced um, with Natalie Portman, right? That's who's playing her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As as Thor. So that being said, I still haven't learned my lesson. I didn't, I didn't buy an issue of this <laughs> one either. But uh, it is a heck of a lot of fun. I did really enjoy it. I was glad I read it. It's written by Torin. Gronbeck, I think is how you pronounce it. She's Scandinavian in some way. So it's like GR and then the, the O with the slash through it in B E K K. Uh, the art is by Michael Dowling. Colors are by Jesus Arbatov and letters are by Joe Sabino. So I, I had no idea what to expect. And between this and the, the other Thor issue, we're going to, uh, of the regular series, we're going to talk about, or Jay's going to talk about a little bit. I'm learning a lot more about like the status of Thor. Like I didn't know that Odin was dead. I knew Thor was like uh, the ruler of Asgard. I thought Odin just was on vacation. I mean, maybe he was dead. I, I don't know. I didn't know. But I, I also didn't know that his spirit was like locked in the hammer. His spirit is in Mjolnir. I didn't know Sif had taken over for Heimdall as like guardian of the ring. But like, I'm learning all this stuff, which is kind of cool. And it, it sort of tickling me like, wow, maybe I need to go back and, you know, read some Thor stuff. Like start with the Jason Aaron. That's what everybody tells me. Jason Aaron Thor is fantastic and then obviously the donny kate stuff has been really popular because he introduced some new characters and the books are super expensive which donny kate's is good at that right he did that with venom as well so anyway um i say all that to say i i enjoyed this i thought it was a lot of fun um again i haven't i mean the jane foster that i remember reading from the few thor books i have is like way back when when she was just sort of like this lovesick you know, minor character. And, and obviously Jason Aaron really took her and, and made her much more interesting. So um, I can't really talk any more about the books in specifics because it's only first issue. I don't want to give away what's going on, but I'm eagerly awaiting issue two, which I can't tell you the last time, if ever that I've anticipated the next Thor book, you know, like I've, I, I've always been happy to just get a little bit of Thor and Avengers or, like Secret Wars, that that was always enough. Uh, the way he talked always kind of annoyed me with thee and thou and I and whatever. Um, but anyway, this is really good. If you're a fan of Thor, I think you'll enjoy it. So pick it up. Uh, all right. Up next for Jay from Aftershock, we've got Astronaut Down. Uh, number one, new series from writer James Patrick. Rubin is the artist. Valentina Brisky does the colors and Carlos Mangual is on letters. What'd you think of this one? Uh, that book is good. No, <laughs> no, it was actually a fun book. Uh, it's kind of misleading. Cause if you think astronaut, you think of, you know, space, it's not that <laughs> really good. The main character is uh, Douglas. He volunteers for this program. Um, this world here is going through a lot of crises and this is like their last ditch effort to try to save their planet, their, their earth. 
Um, there's a lot of action in this, uh, not as you would think, just a lot of dialogue, but there's a lot going on. And I really enjoyed the story. Uh, I think I'm not going to go. This is my book of the week because they kind of had me hooked. I thought, eh, you know, I'll give it a shot. It probably won't be that good. But no, the story is really interesting. Um, the artwork is good. I just want to see uh, what happens because we see there's other astronauts that don't do so or fare so well in this program. But I just want to know, you know, what, what's destroying this Earth and what they try to, what they're trying to get, what they're trying to find, because they really haven't explained that at all either. So there's a lot of mystery and a lot of questions I have. So I'm hoping they can uh, answer them all. Yeah, I thought the art was fantastic. There's a lot of interpersonal drama, so I thought that was really great. The whole term "astronaut down," the mystery of that was interesting. Um, yeah, and and there's some politics at play too with some people that are like, we shouldn't be trying to save ourselves. It's, you know, God's will, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's just irritated the crap out of me. So it was cool to see a few of those moments pay off as well. Uh, okay. Up next for me, we've got another aftershock book. It's the fourth and final issue of the lion and the Eagle from writer Garth Innes. PJ Holden is the artist. Matt Miller does colors, Rob Steen on letters. Uh, I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. Nobody writes war comics these days better than Garth Innes and uh, telling the story of this British, this joint British. Uh, they have some Chinese troops as well, but it's mostly British and uh, Indian, like the country India uh, troops that were fighting uh, to free India, prevent the Japanese from invading and Burma and all that. And they're fighting in a jungle uh, cut off, isolated behind enemy lines, just in horrific conditions. And, you know, this isn't like based on completely true characters, but, you know, Garth Innes does his research when it comes to these kind of stories and this kind of a campaign. Uh, this is a, a realistic telling. And the last page really got me. Like it was very, it was very poignant. It was very sad and tragic in a lot of ways. And, you know, the people that fought in that campaign maybe don't get the due that they deserve. You know, everybody thinks of uh, first when you say World War II, everybody thinks of Europe. Right. And defeating the Nazis because the Nazis were this um, easily recognizable symbol of, of evil and, and Hitler and whatnot. And, you know, let's face it, the United States is Eurocentric. You know, a lot of the settlers that first came here came from Europe. And so. That's where the focus is. You, then secondly, you might think about the Pacific theater, right? With the, the battle of Midway and the naval battles out there. Um, the United States Air Force, uh, actually, I don't even think the Air Force had been established yet, but it, it was the beginnings of, of um, the, I think it was the Marines that had air, uh, that had pilots and the Army had pilots as well. But anyway, it was the beginning of that. Um and so you think of that, uh, you know, the Pacific theater and naval battles and, and you know, landing on small islands and refueling your planes and doing all that, that kind of thing. And then maybe you think of Africa or you maybe think of, of India subcontinent or whatever. So those are kind of the forgotten campaigns, the, the people that, you know, they, they were fighting for their uh, freedom and, and fighting to protect the world as well. So uh, it's great to see them getting their due in the story. In a way, it's one of those things where you read it and it's uncomfortable because it didn't have to happen this way. But, you know, what's the expression? War is hell. Um, so while it might be uncomfortable, it, it, it's I, I'm glad this book exists. I'm glad that Aftershock put it out because it, these, these are stories that need to be told. You know, we shouldn't be forgetting our history. Um, 
and there's plenty of uh, people from India who fought in the war and gave their lives as well. And, and we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't forget that. So I thought it was really, really well done. And, you know, I'm, I'm not this huge war guy, you know, normally I, I, you know, I don't go out of my way to pick up war comics, but if Garth Ennis is writing something and it's coming from Aftershock, it's a war comic. I'm going to read it because everything he's done there has been fantastic from dreaming eagles to uh, out of the blue to you know lion this lion and the eagle so uh, definitely recommend it uh all right might as well stay on the aftershock kick uh next book jay's going to talk about is dogs of london issue number two who let the dogs out from writer peter milligan artisetta is the artist valentina bianconi is the colorist and rob steen does the letters what do you think about this one Oh, man. Uh, well, the first one was good because I like the old like gangster vibe and it's London gangsters. They're like, oh, this would be kind of fun. And it has been. Um, from the last issue, we knew uh, some of the gangsters are now older. You know, it's like almost what, 60 years, 50 years later. But they have a lot of money and power you know, uh, and pull, I guess, in London. Uh, one is now called Sir Frank and his friend Terry. Um, the last year, we were just watching TV and some bodies they thought they got rid of. You know, they found him. Which was interesting because uh, if you see the last issue, uh, the bodies are like preserved perfectly. They look exactly the, the way they died. So you're like, well, how's that even possible? In this issue, they kind of give you a little more uh, story of what's going on with that. Um, Frank and Terry are trying to figure out, you know, uh, how they, you know, why are they back? What's going on? And we also get more of, a, I guess, a flashback of when they were younger and how brutal it was, you know, uh, growing up in uh, some of these. Uh, schools they went to um they lost a friend during some project they were working on uh, what they volunteered for in the they guess they call it juvie but they had a different name for it. i can't remember what it's called but in europe they don't call it juvie they call it something else but that's where they were at and that's where they volunteered for a project one of their friends died and they finally pulled some strings to kind of get rid of these uh, bodies or try to like you know help them out with all this Danny's really cool because it's not the way you think. And now it's like, wow, okay, now I got more questions than answers because there's more to, you know, uh, these return, I guess you can say. So it's an interesting uh, concept and it's a fun story. The artwork is, I like the artwork because it fits the story, the little gritty dirtiness to it. But uh, I like it. And Abstract usually doesn't let me down. Their stories are usually, you know, spot on. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the first issue, it started off and it just started off as this crime noir and you thought it was just straight crime noir. And I was like, well, Peter Milligan, he usually writes some stuff that's kind of out there, you know, weird or uh, uh, either with, with magic or supernatural or, you know, just stuff that's out there. The guy, he, he doesn't, he doesn't really just write these straightforward stories. Um, and he didn't realize until like the last couple pages, maybe the last page of the first issue that there, yeah, there's something more that meets the eye. So we started learning a little bit more about that in this issue. And yeah, I, I love that it's very well paced um, as well, like perfectly paced. You get, it feels like you get a good chunk of story and obviously the hook at the end to bring you back. And yeah, the art, like you mentioned from Rubin it um, or uh, sorry, Artesita, uh like tone perfect for the story that Mill Milligan's telling. So yeah, big fan of it. Thought it worked really, really well. Uh, another book that, and this one's not a surprise that it's so good. Uh, Metal Society number two. It's from one of my favorite writers, Zach Kaplan, who a lot of his stories are sci-fi based. And uh, the guy, he's just, he's an incredible science fiction writer. The art is by Gilherm uh, Balbi. Marco Lesko does the colors, Troy Petrie on letters. 
uh, I talked about the first issue when it came out. It's a, it's metal society, right? So basically what that means is like human, the human race went extinct and the earth was just populated by AI robots. And they, they basically re- rebuilt the planet. And, and in a lot of ways, they're just, they're just like humans in terms of they've got jobs, they've got places they live, you know, they got to pay rent. Um, so yeah, it's just like a regular society, uh, but a society of robots. And they got advanced enough that they said, Oh, you know what? Let's, let's bring humans back. You know, let's get some human DNA and grow some humans. And so they, so they did. Um, and they're up to the third generation, you know, the first one I think had one and then the second generation had like eight and then, or maybe the first generation had eight. Anyway, it's not that important, but they've given the only job they'll give humans is to clean up the garbage, the jobs that robots don't want. Right. So there's a lot of parallels. It's almost like the roles have been reversed. Um, and we're told that there's going to be a fight. So conflicts that can't be decided, they don't have like a court system or anything like that. They're decided uh, by one-on-one combat in this uh, society. And so we're told that there's going to be a big fight between um, a robot and a human. Now this human Rosa, she's third generation and they genetically grew her just like a lot of these humans. And they grew her to have enhanced strength and the ability to bend metal. So she could, you know, do her job of cleaning up the trash and, you know, she's stronger than, you know, you or I would be or that kind of, so it's not a foregone conclusion that this robot's going to beat her. And basically this fight has taken on all this political and societal meaning because humans want their freedom. They want to prove they're superior and the robots obviously want to prove they're superior so they can justify their existence as kind of the ruling class. So a lot of parallels between robots and humans, a lot of parallels with the haves and have nots of the real world. And that's exactly what Zach Kaplan uh, excels at. And the art uh, by Balby is, is fantastic. Um, really fine lines, a lot of panels because it's a big, big, big chunk of story uh, in this one. And, and in this one, it really focuses on the, the metal society on the robot culture and robot life. And, you know, you read the first issue and, you know, as a human, I immediately side with Rosa. Oh, robots are bad. I hope she kicks his ass, blah, 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 whatever. But after reading the second issue, I'm like, man, I told, I mean, Zach does a fantastic job of, of, showing the robot side of things and making the robots like, like a sympathetic character. It's like, you've, I feel bad for this robot. That's like, he has a good reason for why he's fighting Rosa. Um, and you, you kind of forget that he's not human uh, because he's character, his character is, is flushed out so well by, uh, by Zach Kaplan. So definitely recommend it from top cow. They do good stuff. Yeah. Art's beautiful. Colors are great. So uh, all right. Up next for Jay. We've got the aforementioned Thor book. We're up to issue number 26. This is the Banner of War, part four of five from writer Donnie Cates. Art is by Martin Cocolo. Colors by Matt Wilson. Letters by Joe Sabino. This is the next to last issue of this one. We'll finally get the answer uh, in part five. Who would win between a uh, fight between Hulk and Thor? Uh, we saw at the end of last issue that Thor basically hulked out. And that's where this one picks up. What'd you think? Oh, it's fun. It's like, I'm, um, I like Thor, but I just like this whole series, uh, series, you know, of, uh, you know, Thor being a Hulk, <laughs> he does something unthinkable in this one, which I didn't think could be possible, but he kind of, uh, messes, uh, some things up, you know, uh, the Thor Hulk, 
Um, Bruce gets some help from uh, a likely source to try to like kind of fix everything. Um, the fight scenes are, are awesome. Uh, it just the very ending is like the best part because we're talking about earlier. It's like, okay, so what happens when two hawks, you know, smash you know, with fists? It's like, okay, so now we know what happens. <laughs> but it's just been a fun tear it up, you know, beat it up type thing. It just, it's just so much going on. But I don't want to get away because some of the things are just so cool. What happens with the hammer yeah. and all this? It's just, yeah. it's really fun. Yeah, when you have two, yeah, like you said, two Hulks, but it's not, I mean, this is this is the power of Thor, and then you add the power of Hulk. Yeah, he's a god already, then, so it's like, yeah. here we go. <laughs> yeah, and so when you've got two, two of those things going against each other, it's like, yeah, the most definitely the most powerful being in the, probably knock out Galactus with one punch. So yeah, really, really awesome. Uh, so much fun. The art's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I just, as much as I'm not a big fan of what is going on in the Hulk book right now. I do. I am enjoying this, this, uh, this little mini event. So a little break from that world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Up next for me, let's talk about Fortnite Marvel zero war. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be picking this up. I think it comes with a code. Um, and I know there's still a lot of Fortnite players out there. Uh, so just like the DC one, this one's written by Christos Gage and Donald Mustard. Pencils are by Sergio Davia, Sean Parsons on inks, Edgar, Edgar Delgado uh, on colors, Joe Caramagna on letters. Um, you know, it wasn't a bad story, but there was nothing about it like, oh, my God, I can't wait for issue two. Right. It, it was just OK. Um, but here's the thing, like if there's people who don't read Marvel comics that are big Fortnite fans, Fortnite players that are going to buy this because of the code, you kind of want it to be really easy to follow. Right. And not too nuanced because hopefully what happens is they buy it for the code and they, well, as long as I spent the money on, let me read it, you know? And if you want to make it um, really accessible and there's a lot of Fortnite lore in here that kind of goes over my head and whatnot, but um, it, it was an interesting enough story. It's 30 pages. So you're getting like a, a comic and a half uh, along with the code. Uh, we see plenty of familiar faces from the Marvel universe. Uh, so that was really cool. And this whole idea that Donald Mustard's come up with that the, basically the Fortnite reality is like the, the default reality and everything else um, kind of spun out of it. It's pretty interesting, right? I mean, if you want a way to, to cross over Marvel and DC right now, you could do it through Fortnite. They've both had Fortnite series. So you, you pull them, you know, Batman and Daredevil, let's say you pull them both into the, you know, the world of Fortnite and that's where they can, they can cross over. So yeah, if you're a Fortnite fan, definitely re recommend picking it up. If you're not a Fortnite fan, but you just want to read something that doesn't take a lot of brain cells and it's just kind of action and cool art. You can, uh, you can pick this up that way as well. And to make a great gift for somebody who's, uh, you know, who's a gamer and wants to find something accessible, you know, so often they're like, I don't, I, I don't know where to start reading Marvel comics. You know, everything's been around for decades. Well, just pick this up. Uh, you know, it's got Spider-Man, it's got Wolverine. Everybody knows who those characters are these days. So really easy to follow. Okay. Up next for Jay uh, issue number two of twig written by Scotty young, drawn by Kyle Stram colors are by Jean Francois Bellu. Nate Picos of Blambot does the letters. Um, 
and this was another one that was felt like a big chunk of story. Yeah, it's 30 pages, so or 28 pages of story, I think. Um, what do you think of it, Jay? It's just a fun story, like you were talking about earlier. It's like you want something that's um, even the kids can pick this book up, and I'd be okay with my kid reading this book. It's fun. It's got a cute little character. I um, mean, he's very innocent when you read the story. He's just kind of lost in the sauce. You know, he's trying to. From the first series, you know he's going to be an adventurer like his dad, but he really has no clue what he's doing. He's just kind of he starts off late with his with his uh, adventure. His sidekick is named Splat. I guess it's like a yeah, like a snake, like a slug. Yeah. But he's kind of a well, yeah, he's he's a little smartass, but he doesn't really say anything cursing. He just his answers are very yeah. sarcastic, yeah, and that's what you need. That's what you need because he's like I say, he's innocent, so he needs his character to kind of be like his like a little sarcastic kind of lead him uh, to the you know help him out along the way. Um, it's fun because like the, the first series uh, the first issue, we know that he had to go see someone to, with his gym to find out what his uh, adventure is going to be, but that person's gone. <laughs> they died on him. So now he's uh, really trying to figure out what to do. It's funny because he tries to him and, his, and Splat try to figure out how to do it themselves, which doesn't turn out too well. So which leads them on another adventure to kind of fix that first uh, mistake that they made. But that's even funnier, too, because just the, the way him getting there is just kind of funny. His little, like, uh, trail to get there. Uh, the world is really weird. The artwork is amazing because you can see how bizarre and how everything's very uh, unique in this world that he lives in, you know. He does get the help, but then that leads to another adventure. So he's not really getting into his main adventure. He's got to keep doing uh, side adventures to get to the main adventure, which is kind of funny because when you play video games or like that, it's kind of the same concept. You got to get to one adventure. You got to do side quests to get to that main one again. But the ending is the best part because he's got to go to a very uh, off-planet world to kind of figure out to get that the pieces they need to fix, you know, this gem that he has. So it's fun. Uh, I definitely recommend it just just to pick up and have a good, you know, uh, fun read. The artwork is beautiful, and I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I expect this to be nominated for awards. It's so good. Um, like a, just a perfect book to give a young reader. Like, uh, you know, my daughter's 10. She hasn't read any of it yet, but I'm going to be giving it to her real soon um, to read because it is, it is stunningly great artwork. Here's the thing, like part of what works so well uh, in Kyle Stram's art is like the facial expressions. You, you get so much emotion, but it's not none of these creatures he's drawing are humans. Right. So but he still does a fantastic job with body language and facial expressions and whatnot of these interesting and, and uh, fantastical creatures. The other thing that about the art that works so well is the coloring from John Fra Francois Bellou. The colors are so bright and primary and beautiful, and it really elevates the art. The thing that's so amazing about that is Jean Francois, you know, he did Middle West with art by Jorge Corona and the, the colors were much more earth tone, you know, uh, even though it was sort of a, like a Wizard of Oz type world, which is sort of a, a fantastical world as well. He chose to go darker uh, and more earth tones. And I thought that was really interesting. And then he follows that up with another project, from Scotty Young, um, the Me You Love in the Dark, a horror story, which was really dark, saturated colors, kind of muddy. Um, and that worked perfectly because it was horror. And now here he's showing us a third style. So really, I got to give a shout out to John Francois for, for doing such a fantastic job. But man, uh, I, I, again, big chunk of story. So, so fun. I, I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was great. Um and I was, you know, I was trying to think, okay, so what's going to be my book of the week? Like there's so many good ones. Um, 
and so I, th- I think I'll, I'll, I'll say what it is at the end. Uh, but Twig's definitely in the, in the running. So, uh, all right, let me, um, switch, switch back over to Marvel Savage Avengers issue number two from David Pepos. Carlos Magno is the artist. Espen Grudujern does the colors, Travis Lanham on letters. Um, so basically what happened, so Conan, the barbarian, which Marvel has had the license for, um, and they, you know, relaunched it and it was, they did a King Conan series and a regular Conan series. And it was set back in the Hyborian age and, you know, just telling Conan stories, but that wasn't enough for them. They're like, ah, like we got to bring him forward in time and have him as a member of the Avengers. And so they did that. I always think that's, and I know the what if story, like what if Conan came to modern times and it was, it was funny. It was a dollar book for the longest time. And then it got super popular for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fine as a what if, but I don't really think Conan's a character that works that, that well in modern times. Uh, you know, he's running around in a loincloth with a sword and it's like kills people and doesn't think twice about it. I, I just don't see how that fits in with like the mainstream Marvel universe. So didn't know what to think about this Savage Avengers title coming up that uh, David Pepos, who I'm a big fan of, was going to write because Conan was going to be one of the main characters. Well, they flipped it, right? So instead of having Conan as a member of the Avengers in modern time, they took a bunch of uh, Avengers, I say that, use that term loosely, uh, back to the Hyborian Age. So Deathlock, for some reason, and this is, again, not spoilers because it's all in the first issue, Deathlock is hunting, Conan needs to kill him, says you, you're, you've you ruined time or something, like you're damaging time, the time stream or whatever. And uh, Conan with is battling Deathlock in New York. And so it attracts, attracts the attention of a bunch of other heroes and they all get there right as Deathlock explodes and the explosion of Deathlock uh, or part of Deathlock or what have you, because he does survive it um, and goes chasing them. Uh, but it sends the Avengers back to the Hyborian age. So the, these Avengers, it's um, Black Knight, Weapon H, Anti-Venom, who's, uh, Flash Thompson, uh, Electra, the Daredevil Electra, Cloak and Dagger, um, and, and Conan. And so they're back in the Hyborian age and, you know, obviously want to figure, try to figure out how to get back home. What I love about the book is so oftentimes in a book like this, where they get, you know, thrown back in time and it's Conan and, and which again, not superhero, but mixed with superhero stuff, you know, the, the fantasy world of Conan mixed with Marvel's Avengers, it would have a tendency, the story would, it would not feel real focused. It would kind of meander and they'd have this adventure or that adventure, or what have you. The way David Pepos is, is presenting it, it seems like it's very focused. Like they got there, they were scattered, they gathered, you know, they managed to find each other, gathered together. And the, their, you know, their, their focus is to get home. It doesn't seem like they're going to, I just feel like a lot of other pe- writers, a lot of other people would have taken three or four issues to get them all back together. And they're having adventures along the way. And I'm not that interested in that. That story has been told a bunch of times. Like I love how focused it is on just getting back home. And I'm not, I don't think it's going to be easy. I think they're going to have, you know, plenty of adventures along the way, probably, but at least they're all together. At least it feels like a, a team book. Um, still not a big fan of, of Conan um, mixing Conan with the world of uh, Marvel superheroes, but this is a good book. And the, uh, the art is really fantastic as well. I got to give a, a shout out uh, to Carlos Magno, who, yeah, you know, if, if anybody read the, um, the Kang 
limited series he did, uh, you'll you'll know how fantastic his art is. Really, really great artist, superstar in the making, I feel. Uh, okay, last book Jay's going to talk about in detail. Uh, what issue are we on? Time Before Time, number 13. This is from Rory McConville as the writer. Normally, Declan Shalvey is co-writing, but Rory's handling this one solo. Ron Solis is the artist. Chris O'Halloran on colors. And Hassan Atman Elhow on letters. What do you think? Oh, you said issue 13. I had to look at it twice when I first read it because I thought we were further along the story, but we're not. And I thought it would be like issue 20, but I was like, oh, we're not there yet. Just because it's a very... Uh, long uh long story but uh i guess it's kind of it's gonna be a two-part issue uh two-part little mini story um i guess we're taking a break from i guess the main storyline but we know uh tatsu and nadi are on the run because they got a bounty on their heads so they're jumping from time to time trying to avoid bounty hunters uh this story here focuses on a guy named sebastian uh from what I, from what you can see he's like retired military uh he also, you know, trying to get day by day with some cash by, you know, going after certain bounties. So he go, he does a lot of time uh, jumping. It's really cool because it comes up that uh, you know he needs money, like a lot of money up front because he's got to take care of some things. Um, he actually gets an offer, so he's got a, a team he's got to put together. So it's a, I guess a, a crew that they have to go and try to find, uh, you know, Tasu and Nadia. But to do this, they got to do something else, like a, another side quest, I guess, before they do the main uh, objective. It's fun. Uh, I like this story a lot because, like I said, it's just kind of different from what you know, they've been doing. Uh, so it's kind of a nice little break, I guess you can say. But it's a good story. The ending is kind of like, okay, now what? Because I didn't expect that at all when that happened at the end of the story. But I've always did like the, the, the story. So I, I look forward to this one. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun, too. Um I, man, the, 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 I feel like this is one of those books that just keeps getting better and better. I can't wait in a way. I can't wait till it's over because I want to be able it's one of those books. I want to be able to go and read it like all in one sitting or all, you know, in, in a very condensed period of time. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. Cause it, it's, it's, it can't be dense with all the time hopping and whatnot. So definitely looking forward to that. Man, it's like we were talking about earlier. When you first read the story, like issue one to whatever, it's like, you kind of get kind of, wrapped around the whole t- you keep looking at the times trying to figure things out it's like after a while he's like don't don't worry about that just read the story don't worry about the timelines because that kind of all kind of sorts itself out at the end yeah exactly and th- this is a good issue um because this crew that gets together to pull this heist you get a little bit of a recap because you know the, the person that's hiring him to do this or get you know recruiting them to do this is she's explaining what's going on so as she's explaining to them she's explaining to the reader as well so it's a great it's a great jumping on point for the series also. Uh, okay. Last book I'm going to talk about in detail. Uh, Aftershock book, Where Starships Go to Die. This one's written by Mark Sable. Alberto Locatelli is the artist. Juan Cho does colors. Rob Steen on letters. Ah, it's so interesting, right? We already talked about Astronaut Down. Now we've got Where Starships Go to Die. Uh, yesterday we had Aquaman Andromeda, where... I, I can't believe I'd never heard of Point Zemo before, which is basically the place on Earth, deep in the Atlantic Ocean, where um, where governments would purposely splash down their satellites and other like space vehicles because it was it's the furthest place from land. It's the furthest place from civilization. Like if you go much further in that direction, then you start you know getting close to Japan. If you come from Japan and heading this way, and you go much past Point. Zemo, then you start getting close to the United States. 
So it's, it's as far from civilization and humans as you can be. And it just so happens that the way the currents in the Atlantic work is there's not a lot of nutrient rich water there. So there's not a like plankton and stuff like that. So there's not even a lot of sea life that lives there. And it's, it, people call it the starship graveyard. Uh, again, like a lot of the stuff I got from Aquaman Andromeda. And now here we have where starships go to die, which is focusing on Point Zemo and some people who are trying to, um, again, similar to Astronaut Down, kind of save their planet. You know, <laughs> we're going to get more and more of this, these stories as climate change continues because uh, it's just what's on everybody's mind. But uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story from Mark Sable because, again, Point Zemo, I find it so interesting. Basically, I have three uh, sort of spaceship alien sort of books that are all kind of similar in terms of you know mystery and whatnot um this one also reminded me a little bit of um of letter 44 also the charles soul book um because it has to do with you know exploration and and trying to find um again ways for for mankind to survive uh so yeah a lot of a lot of tropes here um I can't really talk more about the story without giving anything away. Um, the main character is a, a, an African who was supposed to be the first African in space. And that didn't end up working out for him. And then he's recruited by this other woman who is trying to salvage technology from point Zemo, but not for the reasons that you necessarily might, might think. So uh, there's a lot of mystery here. Uh, I'll be able to talk about it mo in more detail when um when the second issue comes out, cause I can reference things from the first and it'll, it'll be a little easier. Uh, but there's also some, um, some sort of fictional history. Uh, if you're a fan of like Harry turtle dove or, or those kind of books where you take, you know, real life events from the past. And then you say, Oh, what if what you thought was true was really this, you know, like rough riders. There's another title from aftershock that kind of played around with that stuff. Um, so yeah, really, really fun. The art is really fantastic great color work beautiful line work um a lot of emotionality because it feels like part of what we're going to get here from mark sable is uh, a book about relationships in a lot of ways like what it means to be human and to trust one another and that sort of thing especially when you're thrown into a high pressure situation and you don't really know the people that you're that you're with but yeah fantastic art from alberto Locatelli as well uh all right let me give a rundown on some of the other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today. So uh, from Aftershock, I think we talked about all the books that are coming out, but there is a, a collection that I wanted to mention. Um, Cullen Bunn's Dark Arc series, the whole thing, the complete series is all collected in one hardcover from Aftershock and it's at uh, $59.99. Oh, and there's also the third issue of uh, We Live, Age of uh, Palladians, which I, I need to go back and reread the first. I was trying to read Age of Palladians, but I felt lost. I need to go back and reread We Live, uh, the first series, and then jump on that. Um, from Ahoy Comics, I don't talk about them a lot, but they do have a new number one that's coming out this week called uh, Justice Warrior, um, written by uh, Matt Bars. It looked interesting, uh, talking about a dystopian... Uh, satire there's a, a prosperous place called bubble city and then there's the uninhabited zone where everybody lives it's a big slum so i got when i was reading the solicit and looking at the, some of the preview pages i got a uh, kind of a road warrior vibe 
Mad Max vibe from it. So I thought I would mention it. Um, over at AWA Studios, we have ETER, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it's basically an ER for aliens. So if you're into kind of hospital drama, you can check that out. Uh, at Boom, we've got uh, a new series called Orcs, The Curse, number one. Know nothing about it. Seen the cover and looked interesting. So I thought I'd mention it. Uh, from Dark Horse, Ward, number one of four, which is a mini series kind of similar to what we we're just talking about with the ETER, except the Ward. Uh, it's written by Kevin Scott. So this is a, an ER that's for fantasy creatures like werewolves and golems and that kind of thing. So uh, that sounded pretty interesting when Kevin told me about it. So that debut issue from Dark Horse this week uh, over at DC. Again, you can hear about these in detail on our DC spotlight from yesterday. Aquaman Andromeda, number one of three, which is a black label book, which I already referenced. Batman number 124, which is the last uh, Joshua Williamson uh, written issue before Chip Zdarsky starts with 125. Batman Beyond Neo Year, number three of six, which best Batman Beyond story I've ever read. I'm, I'm really digging that Batman Beyond series. I've never been that interested in Batman Beyond before. And Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, the writers, really have me hooked. Uh, Batman Killing Time, number four of six from Tom King. Really fantastic new Batman villain in that one called The Help. Uh, already mentioned Dark Crisis, number one. That's uh, of seven issues. It's going to play out for the rest of the year. DC Pride, I also mentioned already. Uh, we've got Flashpoint Beyond, number two of six. That's the other event DC has going on, uh, written by Jeff Johns, Jeremy Adams, and Tim Sheridan. That's so Thomas Wayne focused, and I'm really digging it. Uh, Monkey Prince, number five of 12. We also have Multiversity Teen Justice, number one of six. Nubia, Queen of the Amazons, number one of four. Poison Ivy, number one of six, where Ivy seems like she's kind of turned back to her villainous ways. Curious about that one, written by G. Willow Wilson. Uh, and, and that's it for the, uh, for the singles at DC this week. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books we mentioned, Cyberforce, number one, 30th anniversary edition is out. We've got issue number 10 of Mirka and Dolfo's Sweet Paprika. Spawn is up to number 330. Uh, from Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, we've got uh, a second, a third printing of Ghost Rider number one and a second printing of Ghost Rider number two. So I guess, I guess that one's doing pretty well. Uh, also, there's some reprints for the, the black-haired Wookiee, uh, Chris Stanton, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, it's, it's called uh, Chris Stanton, Star Wars Tales number one. And again, it, it's $7.99. It collects four different previous stories that star that uh, character. Uh, it, over in the X-Men corner, we've got Legion of X number two and Marauders number three. Uh, star Wars number 24 is also out, as is Venom number eight from Rom V. Uh, and then I, I talked in detail about the Valiant book that was out this week, uh, Archer and Armstrong, which I I'm really, really enjoying. Uh, and I think that's it. What did you have uh, beyond that, Jay? Anything? Oh, uh, Scout Comics has uh, Cult of Icarus number three. Uh, I, I like that series about the vampire cult. It's written by Jenna Wright and artist by Carla Sominski. That's pretty much it. It's kind of a light week, so I was kind of happy about this week. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice to get a, a, a light week when it's a little easier on the wallet, but that's not to say there weren't fantastic books uh, so much so that I could not decide on a book. <laughs> I couldn't decide. I couldn't pick, man. I narrowed it down to two 
uh, from like, I could have picked like four or five. They're, they're easily four books worthy of being book of the week. But for me, I'm going to go with a tie. Like I do sometimes when I just don't want to, I just don't want to decide. I'm going with twig number two and metal society. Number two, two second issues that really expand on the foundation from issue number one and help build the story out. And uh, I, highest recommendation to, to both of those series are really both fantastic. So uh, I'll throw that down in addition to Jay's astronaut down number one from aftershock. Yeah. Aftershock again, just killed it. We didn't get any aftershock books last week, um, which is always a shame because man, they, they just, they're so good. Their books are so good. Uh, oh yeah. They're quickly becoming my favorite publisher, no doubt. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Hope you get a chance to get out to your comic shop and read some of these fantastic books uh, don't forget the little promo teaser at the beginning. Make sure you pre-order Liam Sharp's Starhenge. Uh, final order cutoff is on June 13th, so it's less than a week away. Let your retailer know you want it. Uh, it's going to be fantastic, and you don't want to miss out. So it drops on July 6th, and I'm sure we'll be having Liam on to talk about it soon thereafter. So that's going to do it for this episode. We appreciate everybody joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.